When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yesterday's concert is a proud member of the Pantheon Media Network. I sat in the back of my journalism course watching the seconds tick away. You're going to want to have a header that announces this. The teacher rambled about the importance of blogs. Lady, we're 30 years younger than you. We know what a blog is. That way people visiting the site... Oh, would you look at the time? I've gone over. See y'all next week. Remember to read chapter four in your books. There might be a quiz. It was this sweet, sweet sound I've been waiting to hear all day. I threw my backpack over my shoulder like I was in an action movie on the way to save the president's daughter. I squeezed between my classmates and slipped out the door without a word muttered. Stepping outside, I faced the campus's prized park-like green space, the grove. It was an orange-tinged afternoon in Oxford. Leaves have changed and now color the ground. The sky was cool and calm. A light breeze nipped the air. In the south, we get all of our fall season in about three days, so this was one of those few perfect days. But in this town, the fall colors only meant one thing. SEC football. This time tomorrow, a swarm of ravenous football-loving fanatics on the scale of the biblical plague would descend upon our tiny college town. The Ole Miss faithful would show up to celebrate their beloved team with a weekend of revelry in the grove. But this week had an extra slice of special attached to it. The Alabama Crimson Tide was coming to town. As a student, it was the sort of campus-wide buzz that dominated conversations and weekend plans. At the time, Ole Miss was ranked number 20 in the nation, and Alabama number 3. This was the game that could define our season. As much as I wanted to display my school pride, there were more pressing matters to attend to. I had to get out of town. Zigzagging between the iconic red and blue garbage cans that identified game day was nigh. I texted my roomies to let them know I'd be back shortly. Crap. What does my editor want? Hey JB, what's going on, man? What you got going on? You got time to work on a story for me today? It's a front pager. Sorry, I, I'm not going to be able to. I'm, I'm actually trying to get out of town right now. What you got going on? JB, you simple fool. What do I have going on? I have the golden ticket. This is the big one, the creme de la creme, the hottest tour on the jam band circuit that fall. So JB, I'll tell you what I got going on. I have a general admission floor ticket to see the co-headlining tour of Widespread Panic and the Auburn Brothers Band in Birmingham, Alabama. Welcome concert goers, music fanatics, and rambling men. My name is Lance Ingram, and in the Season 3, Episode 5 of Yesterday's Concert, our jam journal takes us to October 9th, 2009. Grab your earplugs as we go to the BJCC in Birmingham, Alabama for the Almond Brothers Band. 
4 p.m. on the dot, we rolled into the venue's parking lots. I paid the man, slid into the front row spot, and emerged with my roommate Stu and our buddy Cody. All right, guys, I guess this is where we say goodbye, I said to them. Yeah, man, we're going to be on the lots. Call us if you find a pit ticket, Stu said. When tickets were announced, my three roommates, Stu, Mosin, and Will, decided we'd try to get general admission floor tickets right on the on-sale date. There was no chance where we were missing this show. And what better way to enjoy this once-in-a-lifetime tour with two of our collective favorites than partying on the floor together? Except not everyone bought a ticket at the same time. More specifically, I was the only one that bought tickets when they dropped. Floor seats quickly sold out and resale values skyrocketed. Will and Mosin ended up with seats straight back in the 100 level, and Cody and Stu ended up in the 200s. Well, at least we could all ride together. Right? Wrong. Will had a late afternoon test. We pleaded with him to ask the professor to reschedule. Say your grandpa died, man. Dude, you're looking a little green. Maybe you got food poisoning. Wink, wink. With Will's refusal to do what was necessary, he and Mosin would be pushing it to make it to the show on time. So you could say things hadn't gone according to plan. But for me, I would be there when the doors opened with my floor ticket. It wasn't my fault the others missed their chance. But being the good troopers they were, Stu and Cody agreed to leave town with me early enough that I'd have a shot at getting a good spot on the floor. The goal was always the rail, but I'd settle for the first five rows. When we got to the venue, there was no one in sight. I'm pretty sure the parking attendant still hadn't punched in yet. At the doors, there wasn't another soul in sight. I was first in line. It looked like my goal of getting railed was in the cards tonight. In fact, I was so early that when the venue staff arrived, they had to come out and tell me where to start a line. I sat on the steps enjoying the beautiful afternoon, basking in my excitement. I'd seen the Allman Brothers twice before, but I wasn't prepared for either of those shows. The first time was my first concert, and I wasn't sure what to expect. I was more prepped for a classic rock dalliance than the jam band baptism I got. I didn't understand the jams. It was musical diarrhea. Stop the dribble and play Ramblin' Man already. The second time was a mercy show. My then girlfriend dragged me from the Iggy and the Stooges at a festival because they were, quote, gross. Her substitute was the bros playing on another stage. Both are stories for another day, but for this show, I was here for the brothers. I'd come a long way since my last time seeing the band two years earlier. I had a new perspective, a new understanding of this band, and had grown to love their music and their lengthy jams. I couldn't wait to see them in a new light. I also gained a new appreciation for not only the band, but the solo projects of the two guitarists, Warren Haynes and Derek Trucks. To this day, both are still among my favorite guitarists. They're unparalleled in talent, especially Derek Trucks, a true prodigy. That's why I sat on the steps of that ugly building hours before the doors opened. I couldn't contain my excitement. The front row was going to be nice, but to be in the building had me elated. Two hours later, when the doors opened, it was a mad dash to get groped by security and have my ticket scanned. I ran to the merch booth, bought a shirt, and ran down the stairs to the floor. I watched as other fans passed the security check and into the promised land. I bounced and cursed as the elderly staff took his sweet time checking every line of the tickets. But when it was my turn, I was already off and running before he clipped my stub. I felt the concrete beneath my feet as I ran the length of the floor. My eyes were set on the dark stage in the distance. The room was a blur. My eyes scanned the length of the stage back and forth. Where's the sweet spot? Where can I be the closest to the center? Where can I grab a spot? 
As I approached, others snagged the spots I had radared, so I had to pivot. I shifted to my left, and there it was. My spot. There was no one else nearby, so I booked it for the stage. Like eyeing an approaching car milliseconds before a collision, I saw the rail and splashed into it with a victory force. I had made it. I grabbed the rail, leaned into the cold iron bar, and looked at the stage to see what my perspective would be for the next five hours. I was feet away from Greg Allman's setup. It wasn't center stage, but that was his Hammond B3. I had the perfect long shot view of the rest of the stage. But most importantly, Greg was my direct line. I couldn't believe it. Turning around, I surveyed the room. The loyal subjects would be filling the space soon. Looking at the rafters, I counted the sections until I found where Stu and Cody were sitting. As I grabbed the rail, I felt no shame or regrets for dragging Stu and Cody to the show so early. Lights go down, widespread panic takes the stage. Granted, it was a co-headlining tour, but it's pretty wild to see this as your opening act. The show was good. The most notable performance was a cover of Parliament Funkadelic's Maggot Brain with Derek Trucks sitting in. It was a transcendental affair as he traded licks with panic guitarist Jimmy Herring. With panic off, their crew began loading gear and getting the stage ready. Now it was time for the main event. Despite our settings, this was no arena rock show. The house lights drop and out walks each member in their own time as if their buses arrive separately. They pick up their instruments and lurch and had done somebody wrong. It was almost as if they were warming up and decided, hey guys, maybe we should start the show. Then mere feet away from me, he emerged from behind a stack of amplifiers. The man, the band's sole remaining namesake, Greg Allman. He was right there, directly in front of us, in front of me. He slipped between his instrument and raised his red solo cup to the crowd. A tiny smile hit the edges of his face as he acknowledged the crowd's cheers. I watched him join the rest of the band, pounding away on his piano. He leaned forward and growled into the microphone. The bell is tolled. My baby caught that train and gone. His trademark voice wore the years of hard wear and tear. It was that old bluesman rasp that had paired so perfectly with his brother's slide guitar. His voice wasn't as spry as a young man's, but it was deep with anguish. It earned the bluesman stripes of a reckless life. If there was any doubt earlier in his career, he had earned his authenticity. Minutes into the first song, my attitude was far and away improved from the first time I saw the band. I understood the music, and being on the rail wasn't lost on me. I felt like my newfound fandom had earned this spot. Not because I put in the hours of waiting, because I put in the hours of listening. It wasn't about being in the front row. It was about seeing the band that I treasured. Despite being feet away from Greg, I was also feet away from my two favorite guitarists. Warren Haynes and Derek Trucks are guitar gods. Warren has one of the meatiest guitar tones I've ever heard. It has the weight of a hundred semi-trucks and when he lays into a riff, it punches you in the chest. The thing I love about his tone is that it doesn't bend for whatever band he's playing in. Across the board, it's the same regardless of the group. The dead, government mule, Almond Brothers, doesn't matter. It's the same. And you're probably thinking, that sounds like a bad thing. Well, you're wrong. His style is so steeped in the Almond Brothers and the dead, it can flow seamlessly with either. And then there's Derek. 
Derek Trucks is without a doubt or argument the best living guitarist in the game. There's no one who plays with as much soul and technical proficiency. You could be one of those Satriani wankers, but everything about that is boring and arrogant. Derek makes his guitar sing. Much like Greg's voice, it ages like fine wine and tells a story. When he hits that slide up the neck and the guitar starts screaming, he can be transported to another dimension. To be in the presence of those two was enough, but to have the other members too, the magnificent Otto Burbridge on bass, plus the original rhythm section of Butch Trucks and Jamo, this was an unbelievable treat for a music fan. You make as much noise as you like in here. How about the widespread panic? We're gonna get a little jam together in a little while, Greg told the audience between songs. A few songs later, Jojo Herman from Panic stepped in behind Greg and sat back to back with him. He and Greg joked as he settled in. Warren leaned into a riff and Derek slid in with the lead. As Warren started singing, the crowd quickly picked up on the song. It was a cover of The Weight by the band. Once the band got through all the words and singing, the real fun began. Warren and Derek began trading licks and ripping the place apart. It was a massive jam. It was nothing like Fish or The Grateful Dead. There wasn't anything bliss about this. It was high intensity. And after a proper ravaging, the crowd was collectively losing their minds. I held onto the rail, shaking my long hair back and forth, grooving that little jam-loving booty of mine. After some ten and a half minutes, the band finally trailed off and finished the song. Greg and Jojo started laughing again. You could hear their convo on the rail. You gotta trust and warn. You gotta trust and warn, man. The next song started with a slow build. Much like the opener, they eased in. Almost like they were playing on their own and others joined when they were ready. Derek slid in and took control of the jam. After several minutes of jamming, Warren stepped back to the microphone to start rocking horse. They made it through the verse and choruses, then they did exactly what I hoped they would do all night. They jammed like strawberry preserves. What started as an intense deep diving jam that had the entire crowd grooving, it shifted into a blissful jam. I closed my eyes and lifted my head. The passing stage lights ran over my eyelids like traveling through a tunnel. It was a euphoric release that only music could provide. I peeked from my eyelids to see Greg playing along at his keys. He seemed to be feeling the music as well. The Allman Brothers had all the makings of a great jam band. I mean, even this version of Rocking Horse went on for more than 15 minutes and was the longest jam of the night. It went from raging guitar duel to blissful oasis and it linked back into a happy riff that was reminiscent of Blue Sky. But what I found curious was how much Greg publicly hated jamming. He never considered the bros a jam band, despite their excessive jamming. One of my first encounters with the band was Mountain Jam, their epic monster 30-minute live track that's, well, a, a mountain of a jam. Although in my youth that scared the daylights out of me, that was the sort of thing I chased. There's a great story about one particularly jammy show. After the gig, when the band was back on the bus, Greg yelled, Alright, who's the <coughs> fish fan? He proceeded to berate the band for the jammy nonsense. As I listened to the band tear apart Rocking Horse and transport the audience to a realm of musical enlightenment, I had to laugh at Greg. Dude was up there feeling it just like us. No reason to hate Greg. Lean into it, brother. The rest of the set was my favorite run of songs. I'm not sure there could have been a better set for my Almond Brothers fandom. From Rocking Horse, they seeged into dreams. It might be my favorite brother's song, because I feel like it captures their sound better than anything else in their discography. But it was also another monster jam. Nearly 14 minutes in an absolute shred fest by Warren and Derek. None of that hippy-dippy blissful stuff. This was a rage monster. 
From there, they invited widespread panic frontman John Bell out to sing with them on a cover of Bob Dylan's Highway 61. John and Greg swapped verses and sang the chorus together. While there wasn't a jam, it was exactly what we wanted out of this co-headlining tour. After that, John left the brothers on stage for another cover. This time it was Van Morrison's Into the Mystic. I was unfamiliar with the song before that night, but wowzers, what a tune. It was stunningly beautiful. I closed my eyes again and moved with the music. My heart was at peace. I was whole again. I didn't need to be in the front row for the music to hit like this, but it certainly didn't hurt. Jam bands are interesting when it comes to covers. I talked about this in our widespread panic episode, but there's nothing off limits to a jam band. Most artists stick to their material because usually when you see an artist, you want said artist to play their songs. You're not paying an exorbitant price to see a cover band. But for jam bands, covers are essential. It's an odd perpendicular line in musical fandoms. So when the Allman Brothers did back-to-back covers, there wasn't a disappointed fan in the room. But veering too hard in the jam territory, Greg wasn't having any more of it and stepped out from behind the keys. Instead of some frontman charade, a roadie strapped an acoustic guitar over Greg's shoulder. He began strumming the opening of Melissa. This was a fan favorite for my crew. I looked to the rafters for a moment of unity with my roomies. After the song, I made eye contact with Greg while he slid out of his guitar. I watched and thumbed his guitar pick. I stretched out my arms and cupped my hands. Please, sir, can I have your pick? He reached towards the edge of the stage and flicked the pick towards me, snapped into slow motion. I watched it rotate, end over end. Gravity did its thing and it dropped through the air. It was headed my way. I knew the others on the rail were on high alert too. We all wanted it, but it was mine. I saw the look in Greg's eyes. He meant it for me. Then like a baby bird, it lost momentum and took a sharp nosedive. It died and fluttered to the ground. It fell between the stage and the rail and almost directly on a security guard. I learned several years earlier that if you're ever front row, be nice to security. They have more access to the backstage than you'll ever get. Granted, usually takes a nice head of long blonde hair and a well-endowed chest to actually get backstage. But if you're nice, security will be nice back. This show was no different. Before the show, I chatted up our section's security guard. His name was Mike. He was a really nice guy. Mike saw the guitar pick on the ground and went to finish its mission. Hey, hey Mike, can you, can you grab that for me? Mike, Mike, hey Mike, let me get that please. The hands of surrounding fans all feigned for Mike. Overwhelmed, Mike handed it to a female audience member two spaces to my left. Good for you, Mike, give it to the female member of the crowd. But Mike, why you let me down like that, man? Ah, Mike, I thought we were friends. He flicked that to me, I joked with him. Oh, my bad, man. Don't worry about it. I got you if he does it again. Of course he didn't, though. Greg only stepped out from behind the keys to walk off the stage when the show was over. But after the show, I rode the rail a little longer to cash in on Mike's misgivings. Hey, Mike, remember that guitar pick that he flicked to me and you gave it to somebody else? He laughed and told me to hold tight. About ten minutes went by. Another security personnel approached the remaining fans on the floor to say that we had to get gone. All right, folks, it's time to go home. I wasn't moving, though. Mike told me to wait right here. He said he's just coming right back. From backstage, Mike emerged. His hands were filled with goodies. He had drumsticks, guitar picks, set list, and more. My man was hooking me up. Except it wasn't for me. He began dispersing it to the other rabid fans, hoping to take a memento home. I thought my hopes were over, but Mike saved the best for last. From his pocket, he pulled two pieces of paper. It was the set list for the Almond Brothers show. 
I'm fairly certain it was O'Teal's set as it had different bass notations next to the songs. I slapped Mike on the shoulder and expressed my gratitude. Mike had come through after all. Outside the venue, I met up with Stu and Cody. We dropped by a few remaining lot parties, grabbed some fast food, and were back on the road to Oxford. When we got home, our other roommates, Mosin and Will, were still awake. I'm not sure how the math works out, but it was after four in the morning. We were all still geeking on the post-show euphoria. We ran through the set, shared our unique experiences from around the venue, then called it a night. Sleep finally took me around 5 a.m. And no sooner had I closed my eyes was my alarm going off. It was now 8 a.m. and I had a text message from Whitley, this girl that I'd been seeing for a few weeks. We were going to the Ole Miss game together and she was letting me know she was already on her way to the Grove. In my youthful excitement, I was showered, dressed, and in the Grove by 9 a.m. Twelve hours ago, I was having my face melted by the Almond Brothers. And some 18 hours earlier, I was passing the same bread and blue trash cans on my way out of town. How's the concert? Did you have so much fun? Whitley asked. The date with Whitley went well, but my focus was on the concert. I was still reeling. All day during the game, my mind was distracted. I wanted to be in Birmingham, which is probably the first and last time I've ever had that thought. Some friends of ours did both shows, and they reassured us that we hit the right show of the two. They said night two wasn't on par with night one. It doesn't matter. My heart still belonged to the Almond Brothers in Birmingham. I'm Lance Ingram, and this is Yesterday's Concert. Thanks for tuning in to another show. Sources and more information on today's show are available on our website, yesterdaysconcert.com. While you're there, check out some old episodes, or connect with us on Twitter, at ConcertPod, or on Instagram, at Yesterday's Concert. And until next time, take care of your shoes. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.